Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number, simple, one 990 is help at the Reminder as well, Global TV, taking the show to TV. It'll be called In Your Corner, and it is coming to Global as of January of 2019. So just a, about a month away, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. is when that show will air again. In Your Corner, this show doing a televised version of that. Looking forward to that. Fellas, James, Savan, welcome back, guys. Good to, good to have both of you here again doing the show. And I know we got a bunch of questions and emails to get through and some information as we uh, just get started here on this week's show. But I think we're going to do some week that was back and forth. Savan, I think you're first, yeah? John, let me start with an email that I received from this lady who is from the Ottawa area. And I'll, I'll read you out the email that she wrote me. She says, good day, Sivan. I just saw you on the news discussing insurance. I've been fighting with, and then she puts in the insurance company's name, the whole year for my LTD, and I'm no closer to getting my insurance. Are you able to help me with this case? Well, John, you know, obviously I need to understand uh, the, the uh, issues surrounding the LTD denial and why it is that the insurance company has said that she's not entitled to LTD. Oftentimes, when insurance companies tell individuals that they're not entitled to LTD, when these individuals are, in fact, disabled from working and have uh, doctors that support them being off on disability, uh, you know, we look at those denials and and analyze them and try to figure out why is the insurance company saying what it's saying. Let's look at the policy. Let's look at the denial letter, the supporting medical documentation. But what struck me about that email from this lady is that she says, I've been fighting this insurance company the whole year. So that tells me that she was denied about a year ago. And one of the things that I say here on the show, and I've been saying this for years, is that you should not be waiting and fighting the insurance company on your own when you are denied long-term disability. The fact that this lady has been fighting now for a whole year, I don't know what that means. It's possible that she had appealed that initial denial, and then she was denied again on appeal, and then she tried a second appeal. And we see this over and over and over, people appealing these denials when they're denied long-term disability. And one of the things that we say here on the show is don't appeal those denials. Right. The reality is that in the majority of cases that we take on when we represent individuals against long-term disability insurers, we're able to resolve their claims within months uh, or, or you know, certainly within the year of taking the case on. So if you come to us a year after you were first denied, you've just prolonged the resolution of your claim by a, by a year, as opposed right. to coming to us immediately when you have been denied or immediately when you're told you're going to get cut off in the event that you're still getting insurance now, but it's only for a limited amount of time, don't wait for a year. Don't wait for a month. Don't wait for a week. Come to us now. Call us now. Email us. Let us advise you and help you with your case right now. The number, by the way, one 990 or help at ca. Savannah, what else you got going on? Well, I want to tell you about a little bit of a, of a, of a tragic situation. Uh, so again, I get contacted um, this week by a lady who's uh, emailing me about her husband. Her husband is 45 years old. He's an electrician. He was making about $80,000 a year. And he has uh, brain cancer. And he's had that for quite a long time. It's, it's terminal brain cancer. But at this point in time, he can, he can literally die any day. And the tragic aspect of the case, it's a very complicated case. I've spoken with him by phone and gotten all the details. And the thing that really bothers me here is that he was initially denied long-term disability in March of 2016. The problem is that they were denied over two years ago. And, of course, you know, people out there who've been listening to us now for a few years know that there's a two-year limitation period by statute in Ontario. That means that if you're denied long-term disability today, you have two years from today to start a legal claim against the insurance company. If you wait beyond that two-year mark, 
you've seriously jeopardized your ability to now make a claim. In fact, the insurance company, I can tell you, automatically, if you start a claim, are going to try and argue before a judge that you have no legal claim because you are now beyond that two-year limitation. So if you're in that situation, again, this ties back to the initial case that I talked about. If you're denied now, contact us now. Don't wait a week, a month. Don't wait a year. Certainly don't wait more than two years. That's what's happened with this individual, and now we can't help them. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number you want to reach out through email. You could do that as well. Get a hold of Savan. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Same goes for James. We'll pick it up with James after we take a short break. In the meantime, want to uh, let you know again, and I will continue to remind you for the remainder and until it actually happens, that is our global TV show starting in early January called In Your Corner, and that will debut Sundays at 8.30 a.m. early in the new year. Looking forward to that. Lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show is on the way. This is Global News Radio. Insurance and Injury Law Show, you bet, one 990 is the number, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Back into it, Savannah, you got another case you want to talk about, yeah? Yeah, John, there's a website okay. that we've been uh, talking about called mydisabilityquestions.com where people can post questions and we answer them for free within minutes. And uh, here's a question that came and then the follow-up I had with this individual, and I'm going to ask James to chime in after I read the email. So here's the actual uh, uh, posting to that website. I am a teacher with the Ontario Board who is denied long-term disability. My severe burnout diagnosis is insufficient reason according to the definition of disability of my employer's insurance. How can I prepare reasons for each argument given in my denial letter? And then I went uh, back and forth with her, and here's what she wrote subsequently. She wrote, I need to prepare for a meeting with my union representative in order to have my arguments ready for the appeal. I'm unsure how to proceed. Does trying through... Uh, sorry, does trying through volunteering in a school environment counts as rehabilitation? I couldn't even do that last fall. I feel strong, strong enough to assist a teacher in guiding literacy students into reading. Doesn't that show motivation to resume teaching? Can you help? So I, my first comment is um, with the fact that um, this lady is doing an appeal. And typically w- when we talk about appeals, we always say, don't do them, they're a waste of time. The one caveat to that, though, is if you're in a union, sometimes you're required to actually go through an appeal process um, to challenge. Every collective bargaining agreement between a union and its employer is different, and so the process will change from union to union. And so if you are a union member and you've been denied, give us a call. We can look at your collective bargaining agreement and see what the process is. Presuming in this lady's case um, that she does, in fact, have to go through the appeal um, and she wants to be able to respond to these arguments, um, first you want to know exactly what they have in their file. Um, So whatever it is that they are saying to you, you want to know what the basis for those comments are. You want to know exactly what documentation they have or had when they made each decision along the way and what they can support their position with. Um, With respect to um, the attempted uh, volunteering, well, yeah, that can be seen as an attempt to rehabilitate for sure. I mean, that's trying to get yourself out there. That's trying to, um, you know, contribute in some way. And it, depending on what it is, you know, it might be seen as being um, something that's comparable to, you know, what your job is. It's hard to really say without any more details than that. But if you, you know, attempted to do that and you weren't able to, Um, then that obviously speaks volumes to your level of disability at that time. So that is in and of itself a very good argument that you can use 
um, to fight back against your insurance company's position. And the fact that you've gone out and done this, this volunteering job, suggests that you know, you're not content to just sit at home and try and collect disability. You are legitimately trying to rehabilitate yourself. And that's a really good argument to have in the circumstances. I think one of the things that struck me when I read the, the, the first question was my severe burnout diagnosis. Uh, and, 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 and then, and then she, she goes on to say that uh, she's trying to prepare her arguments for the appeal. So just imagine how a person who has experienced that kind, that kind of a, um, a, a burnout, uh, emotional upheaval, stress, anxiety, that person now has to battle not only the deterioration in their health, but also dealing with the insurance company. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, it's important to stress, John, that when, when we get into the picture, we are taking over that battle with the insurance company. The whole point is that we are now in between you and the insurer. The insurer is not allowed anymore to contact you. They can't ask you for things directly. They have to go through us. And oftentimes, John, when we get retained to, to help an individual and, and we meet with them and their family members, you know, the thing that they hear is not that we can help them. It's, it's that they no longer have to deal with this adjuster. They no longer have to deal with this whole process. They can focus on trying to get better. We take on that fight. We take that fight to the insurance company, and that's a huge source of relief. So that's something that I think people need to understand that, you know, it's, it's much better, I think, to have someone who knows the system deal with the insurance company so that you can actually try and get better, follow your doctor's advice, follow your doctor's recommendations, and try and actually get back on the horse. You can't do that if you're also battling the insurance company at the same time. I think it makes a big difference both physically and mentally when they know that massive weight of dealing with those people or that company is off their shoulders and you guys take care of everything. This the end of the phone calls will bring relief, right? That's absolutely true, John. Uh, it's my experience that we're able to give a gift to our clients when we're able to say to them, listen, the only thing that you have to worry about right now is your rehabilitation. That's all you have to focus on. We're going to take care of dealing with your insurance company dealing with the legal claim. You don't have to worry about that. If you need to be involved, we're going to give you plenty of notice, but it isn't something that you have to focus on at all on a day-to-day basis. Just focus on what your doctors are telling you to do. And that in and of itself gives so much relief to our clients. So yeah, they walk out and they are feeling much better on day one. We'll take a short break, guys. Get into some of your emails. You want to send one along during the uh, the show here. Simple help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Number to call anytime. Get a hold of James Savan, member of the team, one 990 And again, global TV show. It is happening early January of next year in your corner. We'll debut Sundays. Uh, 8.30 a.m. is when you'll catch that show on Global starting in January. Looking forward to that. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show is right ahead. Global News Radio. Insurance and Injury Law Show, one 990 9646 or help at the If uh, you're not aware, Global TV Show starts January 2019 with these fellows in your corner. That'll be Sunday mornings at uh, 8.30. You know, Savan James, I guess, uh, Savan, uh, to my further point is, you know, people out there think that insurance companies uh, invincible, can't take them on, they're big. Now, you worked for them when you first started practicing law. I know we've mentioned that before, but a lot of people listening don't know that. What are the, I don't know, top five weakness insurers have that people must know about? Top five. Well, John, I, I have five listed and James has, so let's see if Good. they, uh, you know, if, if, if they match. The first one that I have is that, uh, you know, adjusters have a ton of files each. 
you have one claim when you're fighting the insurance company, but the adjuster you're dealing with, they're holding, I mean, they have at any given point 50 files, 100 files, 150 files, depending on the insurer, depending on the seniority, they have a ton. And from that perspective, you have the advantage because you know your claim inside and out because it's your life, it's you. And the weakness that the insurance company has or the adjuster has is that because of that, because they don't know your file oftentimes as well as you do, they're going to make mistakes along the way that we can later on exploit. In other words, they can make decisions which are not based on facts because they're not remembering all the facts about your case. So that's the first one that I have. I had the I, I had that as my first one as well. Overworked adjusters, um, they they are carrying too many files um, in virtually every insurance company that I deal with, and you know I want I, I want to be fair to um, not necessarily the insurance companies but the people that work for them. You know, the, someone who's employed by an insurance company, you know, that's their job, and so they can't really control how many files they have to carry. But if they're carrying too many files, they just can't know each and every file the way that they need to, and certainly not as well as I'm going to know my file, I'll tell you that much. And and you know, John, the irony is that we've had adjusters themselves contact us when they've experienced burnout, and they were themselves denied long-term disability. (laughs) I mean, that's the irony of the situation, right? Second one that I have here is that insurance, insurance companies care about the bottom line only. It's all about the money. Uh, So if they cut you off and you challenge them, meaning that we start a legal claim against them, they'll want to find a way to settle with you in in most cases. In other words, once we start the battle, once they actually have to start expending money on defending the claim, they are now bleeding money. And that is a weakness. So insurance companies uh, care about the bottom line only. They're motivated by money. And what that means is that when we start a legal claim against them and they have to defend it, that means that they have to hire an insurance lawyer. They may have someone on staff that can defend the claim. Uh, But it doesn't matter because as soon as we start that legal claim, they now are bleeding money. They have to defend the claim. They know that we're, you know, they're going to have to at some point pay something for the claim in addition to their lawyers, to the adjuster that's dealing with it. So the weakness uh, that they have is that they are motivated by money. They don't want to have to pay above and beyond what they're ultimately going to pay you. And the longer that claim goes on, the legal claim goes on, the more they have to pay their lawyers to fight that claim. That is a weakness, John. That's not, they're not invincible. The fact that they have billions of dollars doesn't mean they want to use that money in order to defend these claims. They want to use that money as profit. I have one that's very similar, although I put it a little bit more succinctly, simply put, greed. Um, And I think that's really what you're getting at. Um, The way I see it, though, is slightly different. To me, the way that that's a weakness for the insurance companies is because their decision-making is influenced by the profit motive. And so along the way, even before a legal claim has started, uh, before it gets to that, the the decision-making while the claim is open is motivated by profit. And because of that, poor decisions are made. They are made with an eye on the bottom line, not necessarily into what the policy allows them to do or what they are legally allowed to do. And so because of that, you see some poor decision makings and that can be a real weakness for them. So, so you'd say it's it's fair to say that if you, you go after an insurance company for something that's owed a client and you go at them like a bull, it's fair to say that, okay, we want this we want this case settled. we got to get these items off the books. They are going to pay, and quite often they're going to pay well and pay what's owed, right? 
in some, in some situations, uh, insurance companies have legitimate grounds to deny claims. You know, John, when people contact us, we don't tell every single person that they have a case. We evaluate objectively the medical documents, the policy, the denial letter. We look at all the facts. And based on all the facts, we make an assessment. And if we think that our client has a legitimate claim and we pursue that claim and pursue it till the end of the earth to make sure that our client is paid what they deserve, the insurance company is going to make the calculation that it's worthwhile to settle now as opposed to later. And, you know, in, in some instances, when we've had to go to court and the insurance company had to actually pay our client what they're owed, they end up also having to contribute significant amounts of money for legal fees. So it's important to understand that insurance companies, as James put it, are motivated by greed. They're not interested in expending more money on a claim than they have to. The top five weaknesses insurers have that people know about or need to know about. We'll uh, continue with those after a short break. The number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six, and email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio. The number anytime to reach Savan James, member of the team. They're a very capable team. It's one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll bounce over to an email very shortly. Denise, you're going to be up first, so. Stick around for that. We'll continue, guys, with the uh, the top five weaknesses insurers have that people must know about. I think we're into number three, yeah? That's right, John. I think okay. that what comes to mind as well for me is the power imbalance, or, or at least they want you to think that there is a power imbalance, that they're invincible, that they're so strong, they have so much money that they can't, you can't do anything about that. And, you know, in a way, that's an illusion. I mean, it's correct so long as you don't have the correct legal representation, but as soon as you have a lawyer that knows what they're doing, you know, and can even out the playing field, that power imbalance is now gone. So that is a weakness that they have, but you have to realize that. If you don't realize that, and you live by that mirage that the insurance company can do whatever they want, and in fact, they're so so much stronger than you are, have so many more resources than, than you do, uh, and you have no opportunity to challenge them, then yeah, you're going to be on the losing end of that battle. We uh, we have another one that's the same here. I, I, I've called this a little bit differently again, but it's essentially the same point. Um, from my view, it's the, the fact that insurance companies are enormous bureaucracies. Um, and because of that, you know, they're very large and they have a lot of resources, but they also have all kinds of rules and regulations and policies that prevent them from being agile, from being able to respond to the intricacies of particular claims. And so if you think about it in one sense, you can look at insurance companies as the Titanic and we're the iceberg. <laughs> where the, you know, we know where their weaknesses are. And so, you know, as long as you know where that is, I don't care how big and strong they are. If you know where their weaknesses are, you can bring them down. All right, guys, last two. Savannah, you're up. Okay, so here's something that uh, really irks me. Uh, insurance companies focus on fraud. Uh, they, they focus on how rampant it is, and, and, you know, they try to dissuade claimants. And quite a few times I've had situations where people, uh, you know, have come to me and said, I don't want to be one of those individuals, you know, who makes these claims against insurance companies. And oftentimes what they see is they see what's in the Toronto Star and they see what's in other mediums where, when, when uh, news organizations write about all this fraud that is happening in the, in, you know, in the insurance world. And what they're not focusing on, in my opinion, is the wrongdoing by insurance companies. So in other words, this is almost like the matrix, okay? People are out there thinking that if they've been denied long-term disability, that the insurance company legitimately has a reason to deny their claim. And the weakness the insurance company has is they, there are people out there like us who are telling you that that's not the reality. The reality is that if you're denied your claim 
and you have legitimate grounds to pursue your claim, you can actually get paid for that claim. You don't have to stand back. You don't have to walk away from the money that's owed to you. So, you know, this idea that all this fraud out there means that you have a fraudulent claim, uh, uh, claim as well, I, I, you know, I just think that that's completely wrong. It's inappropriate. And it, it's, it's sort of put out there by insurance companies oftentimes to dissuade people, to make people think that they can pursue their own claims, almost like gaslighting in a way, right? I mean, they're trying to convince people out there that if we told you you have no case, it means you have no case when people know that they have a case. So people like us who are telling people that they do have a case, that's where we exploit the insurance company's weakness and you can actually pursue them. All right, I've got a different one here, finally. Go ahead. Our, our list of her. <laughs> so my number four is high turnover. And so if you hire a lawyer, if you hire someone from our firm, um, almost certainly that lawyer is going to be with you from the start of your case until the end of your case. If I have a client, I'm going to know their case from the beginning all the way through. I'm going to know it like the back of my hand. What I hear from my clients time and time again is not only that they're frustrated with their insurance company, but they don't know who to talk to because the person on the other side keeps changing. They keep changing because it's just a high turnover job and you can't possibly know, you know, two or 300 files that well, even if you're staying in your job for a number of years. But if you're turning people over at a very quick rate, you've got no chance. You've really got no chance. So that is a big, big issue for them. It's a huge weakness that they really just don't have people that stick around for a long period of time. Of course, there are exceptions to that. But I see time and time again, clients come in and they just don't know who they're supposed to deal with because they've had six adjusters over the last year. The top five weaknesses insurers have. We're going to get to uh, the top one here. Savannah, you're up. Go for it. Well, John, I mean, I'm going to circle back to the beginning, and, and I think that, uh, you know, it's important to understand that insurance companies make a ton of mistakes, and they don't like to admit those mistakes. And if you don't have a lawyer that's representing you that knows the industry, knows the law, knows how to deal with these cases, you're not going to necessarily be able to catch all the, you know, all of those mistakes. And you know, I, I think every case that we have handled through uh, the years we've been doing this at the firm We've always looked at, you know, the files that we've received from insurance companies, the correspondence between the adjusters, between the various doctors that the insurance companies have hired and their adjusters, and we always found discrepancies and errors and mistakes. And because we have that knowledge to be able to exploit that, to exploit that weakness in their system, and again, I think it's born out of bureaucracy and it's born out of the fact that they have such a high turnover and everything else, those little mistakes you know, it's a death by a thousand cuts for the insurance company. Once we get in there, we take all of those mistakes, we wrap them up with a nice bow, and we present that to the insurance company. At the end of the day, they have to recognize that if this actually made its way before a judge, they would get hammered. But again, John, an individual who doesn't have that kind of a representation may not be able to do that, not have the knowledge to do that, and not have the stamina to do that. So that weakness, as far as I'm concerned, is the biggest weakness that insurance companies have. This, this thing that where they make so many mistakes, you can take all of those mistakes and reorient them towards the insurance company and say, that's why you have to pay because you're going to get hammered at the end of the day. I have a, I have a similar one for, for my top weakness. Um, it's, it, it's inefficiency. And so what we find time and time again is when we look at the claims file, so everything that happened up until the point that our client was denied or cut off. Um, it's typically, you know, you're using inexperienced adjusters, multiple adjusters. They are, if they are sending it to any doctors, they're often, 
you know, not a specialist in the relevant area. It's just there isn't a lot of resources that are expended on the claims process because the insurance companies have made a calculation that they'll come out ahead if they go cheap on the claims process. Now, I, that, I don't find that that translates once it's into the legal side. I have found, generally speaking, that the, um, the claims handlers and the lawyers that are on the legal side are quite competent and understand what is going on. Um, but my experience has been that that's not true in the claims process. And just as Savan was saying, that leads to all kinds of mistakes that show up in the file. And that is an enormous weakness that, frankly, is quite easy to exploit in most cases. John, you know, oftentimes when we start the legal claims and now we have a different adjuster and a defense lawyer involved, they will, uh, at a mediation or discovery or whatever it is we're doing when we're face-to-face with them, they will shake their heads and they will tell us off the record how they can't believe that the claims people that handled the file initially made all those mistakes. And that's very telling, right? Because those new adjusters who are in charge now of trying to shut this case down uh, and the lawyer that's defending the insurance company, mm-hmm. they're looking at all these mistakes and they're thinking, okay, how can we now clean up the mess? And the way they clean up the mess is by paying out. That's simply the reality of the situation and that happens in quite a few cases. Reach out, number simple, one 990 help at the We'll take a short break, guys, and bounce over to some emails And uh, we'll get to those after the break. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio. The number to get a hold of Savan, James, the rest of the gang, 1-888-990-9646, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And again, starting January of next year, early 2019, we go to TV. Global TV show In Your Corner will be Sundays at uh, 8.30 a.m. As promised, Denise, thanks for hanging on. Your email is first up. Denise says, and again, it's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. says, I've been on long-term disability for over a year and uh, then tried to go back to work this past November for several weeks. I struggled, and at some point, my employer said that I'm just not well enough and told me to take more time off. I went to my doctor and got another note that I need time off, but my insurance company now refuses to pay me and says that my doctor wrote that I was well enough to work, and on that, based on that, I shouldn't get any more disability payments. This is what the insurance company says. My doctor never said that. He said that I could try to go back slowly and with modified duty. That's it. I don't know what to do now. They won't reopen my claim. Well, Denise, uh, thank you for the email. Um, this raises one issue that I don't think we talk about often on the show, but it's worth talking about just so everyone understands the issues involved. So if you are on disability, uh, you are entitled to try going back to work. Virtually every policy will have very similar language that will in fact encourage you to try and go back to work. Everybody is on the same page that you're in a better position if you're able to work, if you're healthy enough to go back to work. You're going to earn your full paycheck. The insurance company is going to have to pay you. So everyone's aligned on that, that it should encourage you to go back to work when you are healthy enough. And so the way the policies are typically written, they allow you to attempt to go back to work, but if you're not able to do it, the policy language at least says that you're entitled to continue receiving your benefits. In practice, that often doesn't happen as we see here with Denise. Now what I wanted to talk about though is what's called a recurrent claim. And so this happens where you attempt to go back to work and as long as it's not over a certain defined period of time, you are still within the initial claim that you had made prior to your attempt to return to work. So you go on leave, you get paid your disability, you try and return to work, you're unsuccessful, and as long as it's not more than X period of time, then you go back into the original claim. You don't have to start a new application. You don't need to wait 
um, you know, three months or six months for an elimination period, in theory, you should be entitled to just start receiving the benefits. So that's something I think everybody should understand. In this case, it seems like Denise was only off for a few weeks. And so because of that, this should be a recurrent claim. She shouldn't have to go through the process again. And I don't think that's what the issue she's talking about really gets at. I think the issue here is with respect to the note that her doctor gave her when she was going to try and return to work. And so based on what she's saying, it sounds like her doctor gave her, you know, the uh, the note that says she's okay to attempt to return to work. And there were, you know, modifications suggested, and I'm sure there were limits on how many hours she could work, how many days a week she could work, work so on and so forth. It would be incredibly unusual, and I certainly haven't seen it, that a doctor would simply say, Denise, you're 100% better, you should go back to work. What I see time and time again is a doctor saying, okay, you've improved enough that you can consider trying to go back to work, but you have to make sure you don't do A, B, C, and D. That does not mean that you're better. That means that we'll give it a try and we'll see how it goes. Yes, the insurance company will often try and use that note against you later on, but that is not great evidence. In fact, the reality is that you've tried to go back to work is really in you know a point in your favor because if this case were ever to reach a courtroom, a judge would say, well, listen, you did your best to try and mitigate it. You made an right. effort to try and go back to work and you weren't able to do it. You can't say that you're, that Denise is malingering in any way. She's made a real effort to do it and she wasn't able to. So, you know, yes, the insurance company may try and use that against you, but ultimately that's not a very good argument. In fact, it's really an argument in your favor. John, uh, a couple of points. Number one, on the issue of the doctor's note, it's very important, and we spoke about this before on other shows, if you're going to your doctor and you've been on disability for a while and you want your doctor to help you get back to work by providing a note, make sure that the verbiage, the words that the doctor uses are not uh, such that they say, as James put it, you are 100% ready to go back. And it, it's Absolutely. true. I mean, you don't want it to be absolute. You don't want it to be absolute. In fact, right. the best wording that the doctor can use is this person is ready or potentially ready to try and return back to work. That word try implicitly already states that the, he or she is going to evaluate this individual's ability to sustain that work down the road. If the doctor says they're ready to go back, that's a problem. If the doctor says is ready to try to go back to work, that now cannot be used by the insurance company to stop this person from going back on disability. Now, Denise's email ends with, I don't know what to do now. They won't reopen my claim. It's really simple. We can help. If you're in that situation where you've tried to go back to work, and you found that you can't go back. In fact, in Denise's situation, her employer is very understanding and is telling her, go back home, take more time off. If the doctors now agree and the doctors are providing a subsequent report that states she tried to go back, but you know she found that she was unable to and she needs more time off, we can start a legal claim against the insurance company. I actually don't think this would be a, a very difficult case to resolve. And, and ultimately, the insurance company is going to have to come to the table and pay the claim, reinstate her, pay a lump sum, whatever they want to do, but they can't simply ignore her. So it's a good thing that she emailed us because we will be able to help her with her case. Denise, reach out. You know the email address already, of course, for you. If you want to send in one, we'd love to hear from you. Help at theinsurancelory.ca. And Denise, that number, if you don't already have it, again, you should write this down to one 888 990 the Insurance and Injury Law Show.
on Global News Radio. Insurance and Injury Law Show, that number, one 990 9646 and help at Global TV. that is where we take the show next. We've been doing this radio show for over six years. Now it is time to move on to TV because uh, they're asking for it. It's going to be called In Your Corner, and that starts January early of 2019. It'll be Sundays at 8.30 in the morning, so make sure you uh, you catch that. And have a look at uh, myself and Savannah James doing our thing on Global TV. I want to bounce over to another email, guys. we still got some time here. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Georgina, up next, says, How often do my doctors need to provide the insurance company with updated medical information about my disability? They seem to ask for it repeatedly every few months, but my family doctor doesn't want to keep answering their questions. What can I do and what happens if I get cut off because of that? I also have a rheumatologist and pain specialist who are providing updated answers and records. It's just my GP. My adjuster said that I'll be cut off uh, if my GP continues to refuse giving them answers whenever they ask for it. What do I do? So, Georgina, first of all, thank you for emailing us. And, you know, this is a predicament that we often see with individuals who have doctors that for whatever reason, they're not playing ball with the insurance company. Now, to Georgina's first question, how often do the doctors need to provide the insurance company with updated uh, information? You know, it really varies. It's very factual. It depends on the case. Generally, insurance companies, in my experience, they will ask every three, four months, six months even, they'll ask for updated records. They'll want to know if the person is still disabled or not. But that depends. Are you dealing with a spinal injury, you know, paralysis? Are you dealing with a psychological type of situation where... You know, the last note from the psychologist said that uh, in three months, this person may be able to go back to work, in which case three months later, the insurance company is following up. It's very fact-specific, Georgina, so we need to understand a bit more about why your family doctor feels that he should not be providing those updated uh, reports. Now, the fact that you have a rheumatologist and a pain specialist who are providing updated answers and records, you know, that gives me some comfort because irrespective of what the family doctor is doing here, Clearly, you are being followed by specialists, people who are helping you with those specific conditions that are disabling you, and they are providing the insurance company with supporting medical documentation and reports that states that that you can't work. So I'm thinking in a case like this, where you have the family doctor that's not really responsive, if the insurance company cuts you off, despite the fact that your specialists are answering all their questions and saying that you can't work, I think the insurance company is going to have a problem here. They're going to argue that they need more information from your primary care physician, but you know you have specialists who are following up with you, who are treating you, continuously treating you. As far as I'm concerned, that should be enough, I think, uh, to force the insurance company to the table and pay up. I don't think the insurance company can get away with saying, because the GP is not playing ball, we're going to cut you off. I absolutely agree. And Georgina, if you want to know what you can do right now, there is something that you can do. What you need to do is push back on your adjuster in writing. So put it all in an email. Say, you've told me that despite the fact that I have that you have records from two specialists and that you have records from my GP going back to whenever the last update was, all of which say that I'm not able to work, that if my GP doesn't update you by this point in time, even though my specialists are all telling you I can't go back to work, that you're going to cut me off. Just put it factually out there and see what the adjuster says. Oftentimes, when it's reduced to writing and they take a look at what's there, they say, okay, well, I can't actually take that position. Um, or if I do, I'm going to have a lot of trouble down the road if I'm ever challenged on it. So that is you know, what you should do right now. And if they do cut you off, then you do have a really good case against them, presuming that your specialists are saying what, what 
um, you've suggested. The other thing I, I should address here is um, the issue about your your GP. So first and foremost, this is someone who's providing you with medical care. So obviously, you want to make sure that you're maintaining a good relationship. Um, you know, behind that, your your doctor should be giving you the updates. And yes, it's a pain in the butt, but everybody has parts of their job that they don't love. So what? Um, you know, we, I, I, as long as the insurance company isn't asking your doctor for an update every two weeks, um, and as long as they're not asking him to do anything other than copy the file, it really shouldn't be a problem. It isn't something that the doctor should have a huge issue with. And they're, you know, perfectly within the rights to charge um, you know, some administrative fee for copying the file, that's not a problem. And so um, your doctor ought to be providing that to you. Um, there are, you know, things that can be done to put pressure on your doctor to do so. But again, you usually aren't going to want to go down that route because you want to maintain a good relationship with them. You know, James uh, and, and John, uh, what I find difficult is situations where you only have one doctor treating the individual and that one doctor doesn't want to provide those updates. And it becomes a problem because then the insurance company is entitled to this documentation. And what do you do in that situation? In, the, in those situations, those are the situations where I will start putting pressure on the doctor. Um, you know, you don't you don't want to use an anvil right away. You know, you start with a you know a polite phone call um, requesting that the records be sent, and if necessary, that's followed up with a letter. Um, and if necessary, a second letter spelling out what their obligations are. At a certain point, I mean, you have to put as much pressure as you need to because if you're going to get cut off your benefits or if you have been cut off because of it, then it needs to be addressed, and that is more important than hurting your doctor's feelings. And one of the strategies that I've used in the past uh, in helping the individual, especially if you're dealing with an issue that requires a specialist, uh, I would have the individual ask their doctor for a specialist referral, whether it's a pain specialist, rheumatologist, whoever, and then hope that that individual is going to be helpful to them. And generally, I actually do find that specialists are a bit more helpful in terms of providing these kinds of answers than regular doctors, than family doctors. It's not to say that family doctors are not important. They're extremely important. But I do find that once that referral gets made, we usually get more cooperation from some of the specialists out there that are treating our, our clients. Good for another week, fellas, to reach out. You want to get a hold of Savan or James, member of the team, very simple. The phone number is one 990 Email that we've been using and you can use now as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't caught it, tell you want to make sure. Well, you haven't caught it because it doesn't start to January, but please join us. Global TV is where the show is headed next with James, Savan, myself. It's going to be a lot of fun, very informative. Uh, a 30-minute version of what you'll catch here on this radio show every week. It's called In Your Corner, and that'll be on Global Sundays at 8.30 a.m. Till next time, this has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Global News Radio.